There's the saying, isn't there, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we know that, uh, that this actually works out to be the case. We've seen this so often when you get uh, some tin pot dictator somewhere, he's not going to let go of power. They're going to hang on to it as long as they possibly can. And I think I noticed that uh, Mr. Putin is going for his uh, next term. One of the greatest ways of achieving what you want is to make sure all opposition is either out of the country or locked up in prison because then there is nothing to stop you from putting your agenda forward and uh, having no opposition. Um, we also discover that uh, as we turn to Jeremiah and uh, the prophecy that he has, Jeremiah is one of the, uh, the, the major prophets uh, there in the Old Testament. And if you go this side of, uh, of Psalms, uh, you'll find him. And if you could turn to Jeremiah, start off with chapter 1 for a moment, and then we're going to focus on chapter 10 in a jiffy. But as you begin to read uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah, there's some things that stand out. And the first one is, is that he was reluctant. He was reluctant in the ministry that he had been called to take part in. Now, the reason for his reluctancy seems to stem around the fact that he was not very old. And we read in the uh, beginning of, uh, in the first chapter, just uh, in verse 7, he says, but the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now, sometimes we get the idea that because we're young, because we're inexperienced, God can't use us. Sometimes we get the idea that God doesn't use us. But as we begin to look at the Scriptures, we discover that this is absolutely not the case. None of us have the excuse to say, I'm not old enough to deal with this, God. Find someone else. Because if God chooses you, you have no way of turning God down. That's not what we should do. Yes, we will try, and often we will do that. Now, God uh, uh, reminds him by reminding him in verse 5 of chapter 1. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I knew you, Jeremiah. Okay? Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So, let's be honest, chaps. He couldn't really back out, could he? Because the credentials were impeccable. God knew him, and he was his choice for the ministry that he was to be uh, brought into. I employed a, a salesman uh, on one occasion, and uh, he was quite good for a while. In fact, he was so good, he worked out how he could uh, fiddle the computer system so that in getting, instead of getting 10% commission, he was able to get 12.5% commission. This went on for a couple of years, and I think the total amount that he had uh, uh, overstated in his, um, um, in, his, in his sales report came to something like £30,000, which he shouldn't have been able to take. And I remember having a discussion with him. I mean, he was a delightful guy, and I could see why he was a good salesman. And he just looked at me and he said, Tim, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And we had to let him go because he'd been dishonest. You know, what else was there that was going on? And as you come and you look at Jeremiah's prophecy, you discover that there are things contained in his prophecy which are really quite frightening. As you read the, Jer uh, the prophecy of Jeremiah, you meet some of history's most powerful and corrupt rulers of all time. But as you continue to read in the prophecy, you discover that God is in control. God is on his throne. God is bringing history around so that it tells his story. The sections in Jeremiah which excite us when we look at the New Covenant, for example. In fact, there's many sections in Jeremiah which are just tremendously exciting for us. And you see, the thing is that God still judges the nations. Now, this is something that Albert's been sharing with us recently. There's things that this country talks about. There are things that our leaders bring into play. And when we were asked to sign the, um, uh, the, the uh, petition this morning, you know, I had a little bit of an, of an experience about that I, I, that I can tell you about. So I'm in hospital and I've been going through a really bad patch and there are times when it's dark I hadn't had any visitors for a couple of days. My wife had come, but you can feel down. You know, there's only so much she can do with, with uh, the family. 
And a doctor came around and uh, he said, you look pretty ill. And I felt dreadful. Had no strength, couldn't sit up in bed hardly. And uh, I just said to him, I said, doctor, I can't take much more of this. What was his reply, do you think? Well, it was this. He said, we're not there yet. But when the time comes, we can discuss that. Okay, now, this country is encouraging people who have mental health issues, who are depressed, who are anxious, to talk to their doctor and to say, bring it to an end for me. My mental state was not great on that occasion. I felt down. And I'm telling you, you've got to be careful when you're in that position. And our country will be judged. We will see God's hand move decisively. At first, as I say, Jeremiah was hesitant when God called him. But he eventually surrendered to the Lord and he became one of history's most decisive spiritual leaders. And if you have time, take hold of the book of Jeremiah and read it from cover to cover, just the section that we have together. Tragically, however, the people who needed to hear and to see his leadership the most, what did they do? They rejected him and they turned their backs on God's word. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? I know, let's reject God. Don't want anything to do with God. Let's turn our backs on his word. Why do we turn our backs on his word? Because when we read his word, suddenly we're met face to face with ourselves and face to face with God. We discover that we're sinners. We're sinners who are in need of salvation. We're in sinners who are in need of God's graciousness in our lives. And yet the world says, turn your back. You don't want to have anything to do with this. But friends, as never before, our homes, and there are many of you families here this evening, our churches, and, and we're a church, we're a fellowship. And then the town in which we live, the community in which we live, and, and the cities around us, and the country that we're a part of, it needs decisive leaders who are prepared to say, I'll obey God. I'll follow his word. There was a museum uh, very recently in Scotland, uh, and you may have seen this on the, uh, the news because it affects Canada. And uh, about 120 years ago, uh, the museum purchased from a bunch of, of, um, of Indians up the way here, uh, no, um, Aboriginal people, um, they, they, they bought the totem pole that they had. They sold it, you know, the arrangement was made and it was transported to Scotland and it's been the centerpiece of the museum there in Edinburgh. And now they've come and said, we want it back. And so the totem pole, and it's 30 foot tall or whatever it was, was wrapped up and shipped over. And I watched on the television here as it was being set back up in the tribal lands and... I noticed how immediately people began to dance around it and began to engage in some sort of worship that was taking place for this totem pole that was returned to them. Jeremiah talks a great deal about idolatry. He talks a great deal about the fact that we cannot worship things that are made, things that we make that we cannot, that we should not in any way have a celebration or bring worship to items that we have made. In fact, he says very clearly, and we'll look at the verses in just a moment, they're weak. They have no strength. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot utter anything. They have legs, but they cannot move. And yet, people come and worship them. Now ask yourself the question, why in the world for one moment would you do that? You've never seen this thing made of wood do anything.
I've told you this account before. I was born in Africa, and my mum was able to work amongst the Fulani people, a tribe of about two million people that cover the countries of Nigeria and Cameroon, Niger, and those areas in that northern part of West Africa. And it was a mixture of Islam and animism. They would worship uh, all sorts of different deities that they had brought in. And I believe I'm right in saying that to this day, when twin children are born, they leave them out in the bush, in the edge of the forest, as a sacrifice to the gods of the forest to appease them. And my mother was able to save many children, something just under 300, 270 or 80, because she, my parents, had lost my sister, she had drowned. And when that had happened and they had seen the way my parents handled it, the very first occasion that twins were born in the area locally to where my parents were working, a little girl knocks on the door. My father opens it and she says, Malam, they are leaving twins out tonight, but you must not go. Only Madam must go. And they told her him exactly where the twins were left. And my mum went and was able to rescue and bring them. And they were adopted and they were able to live. So why is it that anybody would do this? It was once said that if you injected truth into politics, guess what? You have no politics. You see, a politician, the first question he asks is, is this popular? Will it buy me votes? Let's legalize marijuana. Is it popular? The diplomat asks and says, is it safe? But what does the leader appointed by God ask? He should say, is this God's will? And if we read in chapter 1, verse 12, I think it is. We discover that God speaks to Jeremiah and he says this, Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. Now, what an incredible verse that is. Because as we lead, as we speak, as we preach, as we bring the word of God, in the will of God, God is looking over his word as it is proclaimed. And so we need to be careful that what we are saying is the truth. We need to be careful that this is God's word that is being proclaimed. We also need to see that God's word will be performed. It will be enacted. It will happen. And when God says, watch out, you nations, there will be judgment. We need to be aware of that. The key theme of Jeremiah's prophecy is repent and return to the Lord or he will judge you. That, that, that's the key. And perhaps the key verse in, is Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 22. And there's a word that the NKJV uses and probably other translations as well, which is very, very important. It says, return you backsliding children. That word backsliding is one that we just use. Perhaps it trips off the tongue. We talk about it about other people, sometimes for ourselves. And he says, return you backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. We can drift away from God we drift away from his word and we discover that very quickly when we do that, suddenly our relationship with God has grown cold. Suddenly we discover that no longer are we concerned about what it is that God would have us do in our life. And then suddenly all sorts of other things come in. And what Jeremiah says is this, idols come in. Idols come in. Idolatry comes in. And right in Jeremiah chapter 1, 
We read uh, verse 16. Uh, it'd be good to keep your Bibles handy this evening because we're going to look uh, at a few verses because again we have to make sure that this is God's word. It says, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness. Because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods. And here's the, the tail end of that verse 16. And worship the works of their own hands. Now, things are getting very personal here. And perhaps for just a moment, if you're really truthful and if you're really honest, you might begin to realize that there are things that you've worked with your hands which have suddenly become more important in your life than your relationship with God who loves you and sent his son to die for you. And suddenly you've pushed him to one side. And then we come to Jeremiah chapter 10. So let's uh, move forward a little distance and we turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. So what's this chapter all about? Well, I'm going to say this bluntly. It's absolutely nothing to do with Christmas trees. So I'm going to clarify that point from the outset. I was going to say to you that in my Bible, the section was entitled, um, Thou shalt not have a Christmas tree, but it doesn't say that. Although, we could say it's not indirectly about Christmas trees. Or that, that there's an indirect link here somewhere. The first Christmas tree in Britain was sold at a corner shop somewhere in around 1860. So that means that the prophet Jeremiah wrote about two and a half thousand years before the first Christmas tree appeared on the scene. Jeremiah didn't know what a Christmas tree was. And nor is that the emphasis of the section of Scripture that we have contained for us. You see, what Jeremiah is talking about very clearly is he's talking about false gods. He's talking about the deities that we set up, the ones that we carve out in our lives, with our own hands maybe, or the things that have become precious to us. And he says, these are false gods. Couldn't make it any clearer. These are false gods and the need to worship the true and living God. That is the emphasis that is being spoken of here. And I've got to say to you guys, ladies and gentlemen, Idolatry is a terrible, terrible thing. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other God but me. It's very clear. But why is idolatry so detested by God? And I believe for very one very simple reason it takes our attention right away from him. It blinds us. And as we get involved in idolatry, we discover that no longer can we see God clearly. No longer do we want to see God. No longer are we interested in seeing him because we've got our God and we like what we've created We rely on our own strength, of course. That's what idolatry is all about. Because the idol has no strength. We've pointed out that it can't talk, it can't walk. It can not do anything except keep us from our relationship that we are supposed to have with the living God. Now, before Abraham trusted the true God, he was a worshipper of idols. Uh, Joshua 24 verse 2 tells us this. He came from uh, the area that uh, was ruled or the, the, uh, uh, um, the nation at that time was the Sumerian kingdom. It's the area that we know as southern Iraq. Uh, the Marsh Arabs that are the descendants of, of the tribe that Abraham came from. 
and they're still strongly there, strongly in that area. And, and the Sumerians were worshippers. They were Monday worshippers. Now, what do you think I mean by Monday worshippers? Um, some of us here don't like Mondays <laughs> because it means that we've got to get back up at, well, Randy, what is it, four in the morning or something ridiculous? <laughs> so we don't like Mondays. But Monday is moon day. And moon day is the day that the moon god S is worshipped. Sunday, the day the sun god is worshipped. Thursday, Thor's day. And the list goes on and on. And the months are all named after different deities. The Romans liked Augustus, August. And all of that has filtered through into our societies today. And so Abraham would have uh, very lightly to have been a worshipper of the moon goddess. And one of the little things they liked to do was to sacrifice the odd child to the moon goddess by burying them alive in the earth. Now what drives people to do something so utterly cruel? Hardly are we able to even let those words trip off of our tongues. The thoughts going through our mind, we probably hear our kids downstairs. Yes, they can be noisy from time to time, but we love them. And a false deity, Satan works through them. And you will discover that people will even go to that extreme. During their years in Egypt, the Jews were exposed to the gross idolatry of the Egyptians. And the problem is, is as they crossed the Red Sea and entered the desert, some of it stayed in their heart. Little, little bits had rubbed off of them. I've said this before, but who you rub shoulders with matters. And if you want sin to come into your life and into your family, then start rubbing shoulders with the world, with alcohol, with sex, with money. And you might think you can take your shirt off and wash it, but a little bit of it sticks. And that's exactly what happened to them. They took it with them. They crossed the Red Sea, harboring some of this idolatry. And while Moses was meeting, and David, bless him, I thought you were going to take more of the message for this evening. He mentioned them. And isn't it amazing how God works that we can be, you know, I don't see his notes, he doesn't see mine. And yet we talk often of the same emphasis that comes out. And Moses is up on the mountain. And what's he doing? He's communing with God. Talking to God face to face. And what, what are the Israelites doing? At the bottom of the mountain? They're fed up. And so they say, let's make ourselves a God that we can have control over. So they give all their gold. And Aaron, Moses' brother, melts it down and they make this calf. In some Bible books, you see an illustration of this huge thing. It was probably quite small, because it would take a lot of earrings to make a big one, wouldn't it? And then what are we told? They take off all their clothes, they drink alcohol, and they dance around this calf. And what does that do? It takes their mind off of the mountain. And they don't see God because they can't see him anymore because they're too busy doing what they wanted to do creating the God that they wanted I think Psalm 106 actually sums it up pretty well when you uh, 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 see that one 106 I think it is <clears throat> 106 and verse 20 <clears throat> And it begins by a very important statement. 
Verse 20 says, thus they changed their glory. You noticed that verse before? And what did they change it into? The scriptures say that they changed it into the image of an ox that eats grass. And in doing that, what did they do? Verse 21, they forgot God their Savior. Who'd done great things in Egypt. Idolatry is dangerous because it blinds you from the God who loves you and sent his son to save you that you can live for all eternity in his presence. So in verses 1 to 16 of Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah looks around and he ridicules the idols and their worship. Instead of separating themselves from the evil practices of the nations around them, because this is where it had all come from, as Moses had instructed in Deuteronomy 7, Israel gradually imitated those practices and began to worship pagan gods. And some of us today are doing our level best to imitate the world in our lives. And we say, it's okay, God understands. You don't expect me to live a life that's different to the rest of the world, do you? Some of you young people here, the pressure you guys are going under must be massive. You see a world which has become totally alienated to the God that created it to the God that ordains it and sustains it. And only by His grace do we see the air that we breathe each day. And they say, it doesn't matter, we'll do it our way. Have as much fun as you want, do whatever you want, doesn't matter. And three young people are killed in a car because the other car's driver is inebriated. And alcohol, the idol in that person's life, has caused this directly. But these gods were useless. Manufactured by a guy with an axe who goes into the woods, sees a tree, cuts it down and shapes it into the image that he wants. and then hammers bits of gold on it. Gold is a precious metal. Silver is a precious metal. And we begin to give our best to the idol instead of giving our best to the God who loves us. Now, at this point in the message, <clears throat> you're probably sitting back in your seats thinking to yourselves, well, it's great, Pastor. I've heard it all before. I've heard this message preached loads of times. Perhaps in a very somber way. Ooh, don't worship idols. And then you're sitting back and you're saying, and I know what you're going to say next, Pastor. You're going to say this. You're going to say, all the things I love doing, all the things I enjoy, all the things that I've bought that are precious to me, the new car I've got at home, you know, in the garage. Garage. <laughs> Sorry. The new 72-inch TV. Can you imagine a 72-inch TV? I mean, some of our walls are not big enough for the TVs that are coming out now. And pastor, what you're going to say is all these things are idols and I'm wrong for having them. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure there's some people that are thinking that that's perhaps exactly what I'm about to say. And you want me to go out feeling guilty tonight because I bought a new car this week. Well, I'm not here to make you feel guilty, quite frankly, about anything. If you do go out feeling guilty this evening, it's not me. 
but it's the Holy Spirit who's prompting you to think carefully about what is important in your life. What is it that you treasure? What is it that gives you the excitement? Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, preached a wonderful message, didn't he? He knew what was going to happen. Paul had stood over, and the guys that were going to throw the rocks had taken their cloaks off. And probably as Stephen was preaching, they stood there with stones in their hands. Now, I'm not sure that I would stand preaching if you guys had stones in your hands. I might want to leg it at the back. But Stephen's message should make us think as never before. Because he said in verse 39, he said, and in their hearts, they have turned to Egypt. What did he mean by that? Explain it a moment. Ezekiel 14 verse 3 says about idolatry. He says, Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and they have set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. You see, Stephen is explaining that idolatry never begins with a false statue or a false god. It always starts in the heart. Always. It starts with the desires that you have. What is your desire tonight as you sit here? Be truthful for a moment and answer that question. Perhaps your desire is not to be here. It starts with the things we love. What is it that you love the most? Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it springs the issues of life. If your life is falling apart, it's because of the desires in your heart. If your love for God is growing cold, it's because of the desires in your heart. If your determination is to turn your back and to backslide and to walk away from God, it's because of the desire, the love in your heart. Let's turn to Mark, uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. We'll just look up a few verses that we have here. <laughs> Verse 21 to 23. Our Lord Jesus is speaking here. And Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. If your heart is far from God, 
life, the life you live, will show the distance that you live from him. If your heart is close to God, your life will show the relationship that you have with him. It can't help but do that. I think, didn't you comment on that this morning? I think you did, didn't you? Or was that last week? One of the two. So now we begin to see where idolatry always begins. It's the heart. Notice also in the sermon that Stephen preached in Acts 7, 39 and 40, that it says that the Israelites rejected God, or as the ESV translated, and I like this translation, it says they thrust him aside. Can you imagine that? Thrusting aside the God who created the universe, the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who had shown to the children of Israel everything that he had done for them. And they thrust him aside. And they asked Aaron to make gods who go before us. In other words, idolatry always casts aside the one true God. And instead of trusting only him, we trust something or someone else. Isaiah 42, they are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are my God. Our worship is displaced, and Stephen spoke about that as well. Idols always demand more than they ever give. Have you noticed that? A bottle of gin always requires more than it will ever give you. Turn back to Jeremiah very briefly. Oops. Chapter 2. Verse 13. A wonderful verse. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And what have they done? They have hewn for themselves systems, tanks, water storage, which is broken and cracked and leak that can hold no water. Now do you begin to see the picture that's being created here and presented to us? Why in the world would we reject the living water which is given to us and create our own attempt at supplying it and meeting it. And what's the result? Shall I tell you? You're thirsty all the time. Your throat is parched. You may not admit it to anybody, but in your heart you know it's true. In other words, the people of Israel had forsaken God and they searched for life elsewhere. And it left them continuously thirsty. So what does idolatry look like today? Well, this is the part that, as I said earlier, you'll get all uptight about. Romans 1, 24 to 25 helps us to understand the basis, if you like, the foundation. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. Notice that word again. To impurity to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, 
because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The worship of creation could be anything from bowing down to an idol made in your backyard. Perhaps today you'd use a chainsaw. <laughs> or it could be looking at the image in the mirror and you say, look at me. In fact, the root of all idolatry makes us self-centered. It says, I am the most important. Everybody, including God, exists to accomplish my desires. Colossians 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness. And what does the apostle say all these things are? He says this, which is idolatry. Because our idols never satisfy, idolatry continually attempts to grab more from us. They only give a fleeting taste for love or success or popularity or security. But that feeling quickly goes. We seek and we grab for more. <laughs> we want more likes. Social media. This, this is completely beyond my comprehension. People talk about having millions of friends. What they really mean is they haven't got any. But they're looking at a number on some social media platform. Oh, I've had so many likes. Well, <laughs> So, they like popularity. They want more income because when you get some, you want more. And when you get more, you want more again. Because it will never, ever satisfy. Have you been reading this guy, um, uh, Biden's son? What's his first name? Forgotten. Hunter. Have you read what he spent $7 million on in the last four years? Women. Adult entertainment. Prostitution. Alcohol. Clothes. Couldn't get over I read it to my wife and she said, could you imagine what we'd do with $7 million? And he blew it all. And now the tax people want their cut. And he hasn't got it. Because when you get a little bit, you need more. And when you get the more, you need more. More popularity, more income, more sex, more riz. Now, if you don't know what riz is, you need to talk to one of the teenagers here and they'll explain it all to you. They're sniggering on the back row now. So if you don't know what riz is, go and talk to them afterwards, okay? But I be warned. You see, a heart that has dethroned God and tries to satisfy itself with other loves fuels pride and greed. The human heart creates countless idols that only distract us from the king of the universe. Idolatry serves whatever it can apart from God to gain that which only God can ultimately give. Isn't that amazing? We know the answer and we so often deliberately choose the wrong answer. So a person gives themselves to the perfect body image. Again, I can't get over all this stuff. On, I was reading an article on the BBC News about the filters in TikTok and things to make you look like somebody that other people desire. I, my mind, I can't get over this. So you can change your image to be desirable. In fact, 
apparently the, 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 the filter does it for you. It looks at you and it sort of says, oh, there's no hope here. So what we'll do is just completely create a false persona. And, and, it, and it sort of like creates this image as to you know, what you want to be. But you'll never be. And the pressures that kids are put under today to look like what they're not, it's idolatry. A person gives themselves to build their bank account, hoping that it will deliver security. A person watches pornography, hoping that it will deliver control and happiness. We haven't got time to finish all of this tonight. I want to say that the answer to all of this is to renew your heart and your mind with God. You need to draw close to Him and He will draw close to you. A vision of the love of Christ propelled Paul's life forward. He had come to adore Christ as the one who died for his sins. And he became convinced to live for a greater purpose than himself. To live for the God who died for him. So renew your mind. Renew your heart. How do we do this? First of all, by confessing our sin. Then, we draw close to God. And we see Him for who He is. A God who freely... You know, all these idols require what we have to do. But God says, Come unto me, and I'll give you rest. He's not watching us right now and saying, well, they didn't fall off to sleep during the message this evening, so they've moved up higher the list as to whether they're acceptable to me. That's not our God. Our God said, there's nothing you can do. Just come to me. Come to me now. And the blood of my son was shed for you. Put your trust, your faith, and your belief again, as David explained this morning, in him. And the idols will go. And we've all got some. Don't for one moment think you're off the hook here. You've been out into the forest and you've chopped one of those trees down and you've hammered bits of gold and silver on it. And I'm not talking about Christmas trees. But you have. Now is the time to give it up. Ask the question, why? Why do I want more money? I employed a girl called Michelle years ago. She came to me and she said, uh, I, I, she had a Somerset accent, which goes something like this. She said, uh, she said I, I've got a spot of bother at home, I have. She said, uh, I've got to, I, 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 I need you, I've got to lose my job uh, because the court are going to put an, uh, a tie to my salary and then you'll have to pay it to them. So I said, well, what's happened, Michelle? So she said, well, uh, I, I, I've run up a few debts. I, I, I've been buying clothes again. And she went down this great long list. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, so your last day is today. So we arranged that. A week later, she comes back on a Monday morning, sits at a desk, and she says, uh, okay, I need my job back now because the danger period's over. <laughs> so I said, Michelle, I'm sorry, but we've got someone else starting next week. You see, she needed more she couldn't afford it, but she still needed it. She said, do you know how much it is to go clubbing and buying a round of drinks is these days? 
They said, Michelle, I'm not interested. It's your problem. Ask yourself the question, why am I into pornography? God adores us. And we should adore him. Our God is living. And he's not an idol. God made you to live for Christ. And not the image in the mirror. Father, we just say thank you for your word. We know that the word that you have brought to us this evening is immensely challenging. But we know that as this young prophet spoke, he spoke the truth. And this evening, whether we like it or not, Your word has spoken to us again, and it's the truth. And we know that if we ignore the truth, we place ourselves in peril. And so graciously, Lord, we come before you and we confess our sin. We admit to the idols that we have in our lives. And we pray that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to cast them out, to get rid of them, and to grow in our knowledge and our love and our relationship with you. So bless us, Father, this week we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.